Hi, welcome back to Paranormal History. I'm Bree. And I'm Naomi. And this week we're covering another famous location in Northern California, Alcatraz. The history of Alcatraz is long and complicated, so we won't be able to cover everything in today's episode. Boo. I know. If you do want to learn more about it, past what you learn about here, there are a number of documentaries and books about it. Um, We got our information for today's episode from AlcatrazHistory.com, an article written by Ben Crayer in Smithsonian Magazine in November of 2019, TravelChannel.com, History.com, FBI.gov, and LegendsOfAmerica.com. Let's jump right in. Naomi, would you like to start us off? Sure. So the very first people to discover Alcatraz were the Alone Tribe. Vegetation on the island was sparse, but there was always an abundance of birds there. They mainly went to the island to collect bird eggs to eat. Other than that, they mostly avoided the island because they felt that evil spirits lurked there and that it was cursed. Hmm. They sent (laughs) tribe members there as a punishment. Interesting. The first European explorer known to have discovered Alcatraz was Juan Manuel de Ayala in 1775. The island was dubbed La Isla de los Alcatraces, which translates to Island of the Gannets in Spanish. What's a gannet? It's a type of bird that lives on the island. Juan was also the first person known to make a complete map of the island. The full name, La Isla de los Alcatraces, was obviously shortened to simply Alcatraz later. That's easier. Much easier. In 1850, President Millard Fillmore signed an order that the island was to be used for the U.S. military. Throughout the 1850s, Fort Alcatraz was built. This fort included the first operational lighthouse on the west coast and a military prison. During construction in 1857, two workers were killed in a landslide while they were attempting to excavate a new road on the island. This was just the first of many deaths to occur. Alcatraz was primarily used for military offenders. However, when the Civil War broke out, it also became a stronghold, protecting the San Francisco Bay from invasion. According to sources, at one point there were 300 military members stationed at Fort Alcatraz. They had 100 cannons, 10,000 muskets, and 150,000 cartridges of ammunition. Many captured Confederate sympathizers were imprisoned there. Some historians say that if it weren't for Fort Alcatraz, the Bay Area, and subsequently the state of California, may have been seized by the Confederacy. If you become an inmate at Fort Alcatraz, Your stay was not comfortable. There was no heat, no running water, no electricity, and the prisoners usually slept side by side on the stone floor. The prison also didn't have a decent sanitation system, so illness ran through the inmates and guards, like wildfire. Just sounds like the Motel 6. It's like the worst camping experience ever. (laughs) Yeah, but seriously, imagine winter in San Francisco with no heat. Soldiers returning from the Spanish-American War in the late 1890s also brought with them diseases that spread through the Bay Area rapidly. Some of those soldiers were sent to Fort Alcatraz as prisoners for crimes they committed during the war. So many inmates ended up dying of their illnesses there. Another notable event of the 1890s is the imprisonment of 19 Native American men from the Hopi tribe of northern Arizona. These men were sent to Alcatraz as a punishment for passively protesting the U.S. government's attempts to impose Anglo-American ideas and culture upon the Hopi tribe. In turn, of course, this process of Americanizing these people was essentially erasing their traditions and culture that they held as sacred. 
These 19 men were held at Alcatraz for over one year as a punishment for protesting the changes the government was trying to make. So I just wanted to hold some space for Native Americans in general who have been oppressed and made silent throughout history and just send a blessing to anyone attempting to celebrate their culture in their own unique way. I mean, that's pretty interesting because I didn't even know about the Native American stuff. I didn't either, honestly, until I... um, not this part anyways. You know, you don't hear about that during the tour mm. at all, unfortunately. So now we're going to fast forward a few years to 1906, when San Francisco was hit with a devastating earthquake. Many people were evacuated to the island for a little over a week due to the many fires that broke out. Not too long before that, one of the main buildings on Alcatraz had almost burned down when an oil lamp was knocked over. These events prompted the military to tear down the original building and construct a new cell house. They used inmates for labor, and by 1912, the largest reinforced concrete building in the world at the time was completed. It contained four cell blocks and 600 cells. Each cell had a toilet, and there was electricity this time. These are the same cell blocks that can be toured today. In 1915, the military shifted their focus on punishment to more education and training for the soldiers imprisoned there. Men sent there for minor offenses were offered additional military training and a chance to further their education while they served their time. Many of these soldiers were restored to active duty after they were released, as long as they had good behavior and completed the program. Inmates sent to Alcatraz for serious offenses, however, were not able to complete education or training and would be dishonorably discharged from the military after their release. So for a while there, Alcatraz actually focused on reducing recidivism quite well for their time. Since it was a minimum security prison during this time, there were quite a few escape attempts. One of the downsides of Alcatraz is that it was expensive. There was still no running water on the island, so a supply of fresh water had to be ferried across the bay every day and with food and supplies. The military made the decision to cease their operation as a military prison there, and the island once again fell into the hands of the federal government. This was at the tail end of the Prohibition, which had just added fuel to the fire for the gangster era. Cities around the country were being hit with a bout of violent crime, and the mobsters had a ton of political control, and the FBI's J. Edgar Hoover saw Alcatraz as a great way to deal with all of it. So, the process of converting Alcatraz into a maximum security prison for the country's most dangerous criminals began. During construction, four god towers were erected around the island. 336 of the 600 cells were equipped with a tool-proof cell door, meaning tools could not open the cell door. That's what I'm assuming. Okay. (laughs) Every window in the prison was covered with a tool-proof window guard, and two gun galleries were added in the cell block. It probably just meant metal bars went over it. Pretty much, yeah, because I don't really know what exactly the difference would be between the cell door in a minimum security prison. I mean, maybe they didn't even have cell doors. I don't know. But (laughs) in case you don't know what a gun gallery is, by the way, um, it's basically just a catwalk that allowed the guards to patrol without actually mingling with the inmates. So in case of a riot or in the event that an inmate attacked another guard, it also gave them a vantage point. Emerging technology of the time gave them the opportunity to install rudiment three metal detectors at the entrance to the mess hall and the workshop. The utility tunnels were cemented and the electrical and sanitation systems were upgraded. Something unknown to many people is that the guards and their families actually lived on the island full time. During the upgrade process, some existing barracks buildings were turned into apartments. At the end of construction, the island included four houses, one duplex, and three apartment buildings. 
The island would have been a cool place to grow up as a kid. There was a soda fountain shop, a bowling alley, and a convenience store for the guards and their families to enjoy. There were no schools on Alcatraz, so the children took a ferry into San Francisco every morning to attend class. Mainland San Francisco is also where the families did their grocery shopping. What do you think of that? That I feel like it would be pretty cool. It's like basically like you have a giant fort, but it's an island, you know? When you go to school, the friends are like, oh, where do you live? And you're like, I live on Alcatraz. Yeah, I feel like you'd have pretty good street cred. Yeah. (laughs) So, we know that Alcatraz was turned into a virtually inescapable fortress designed for the most dangerous inmates. But criminals were not directly sentenced to Alcatraz. They were typically transferred there from other federal penitentiaries for manipulating the system or for bad behavior. Alcatraz was basically just a last resort within the justice system. One of the first transferred inmates was also one of the most well-known. Any guesses who it was? Spoiler alert, it was Al Capone. Capone was transferred for manipulating the system at the Atlanta prison he had been at previously. He had all the guards wrapped around his little finger. He got extra visiting privileges, booze, and even had carpet in his cell by the time he left. That doesn't surprise me at all. Al Capone was a notorious gangster, known for his involvement in prostitution rings, bootlegging, and even murder. Do you know what the feds finally caught him on? Tax evasion. Super lame. Another reason he was sent to Alcatraz was that he was still running his crime rings in Chicago from prison due to the leniency of the guards. I feel like all of the high crime mobsters are always sent to prison on tax evasion. Something seemingly minor, you know, but they knew that there was a lot more going on behind the scenes. They just couldn't pin all of it on him. So they finally got him on tax evasion, money laundering. Other well-known inmates included Machine Gun Kelly, who served 17 years on The Rock, Alvin Karpis, Floyd Hamilton, who was the driver for Bonnie and Clyde, and Robert Stroud, known more commonly as Birdman, who was sent there after 30 years in a Kansas penitentiary. Side note, Stroud got the nickname Birdman because of the birds he kept during his time in prison in Kansas. He wasn't allowed to keep birds at Alcatraz, though. Your bad. No birds. Sad day. (laughs) No birds here. This is a maximum security prison. (laughs) There was one guard for every three inmates. The norm at other prisons of the time was 1 to 12. The warden ran a tight ship for the first few years for the prison was open, enacting a strict rule of silence. That meant that the prisoners were only allowed to speak to each other during approved recreation periods and spent most of their time in their individual cell. That does cause psychological issues for some inmates, yeah. among other things. Yeah, I think that would be pretty brutal, not getting to talk for years. Probably live in your head. Like, mm-hmm. Full yeah. conversations up in there. Yeah, Absolutely. For the first three months they were at Alcatraz, prisoners were not allowed to have any visitors. After that, they were allowed one visitor per month as long as they maintained good behavior. They had a bit of access to the library, but they only had approved books. They had to be approved by the warden to be on the shelves. They weren't allowed to have radios or newspapers either. I kind of wonder what some of the approved books would have been. Yeah, I couldn't find a list of any. I was curious about that too. Like Pride and Prejudice or like... (laughs) I know, I don't... I'm assuming nothing with any violence or, you know. How to escape prison. Yeah, nothing like that. hundred (laughs) tips. Some inmates did have good things to say about their time at Alcatraz, though the food was good and having individual cell accommodations greatly reduced the chances of being assaulted in prison. I mean, plus side, the reasoning for keeping the inmates well-fed and comfortable was to avoid a prison riot, which usually stems from these things like that. 
There was a riot known as the Battle of Alcatraz that lasted from May 2nd to May 4th, 1946. It wasn't caused by shitty food, though. It actually was the result of an escape attempt gone wrong. The mastermind behind the plan was an inmate named Bernard Paul Coy. He had been watching the guards for months, figuring out their habits and patterns, and he had created a bar-spreading device from toilet fixtures he got from one of the prison workshops. Remember those gun galleries in the cell blocks? Coy smeared axle grease all over himself and climbed up the west end of the gun gallery. He managed to spread the bars about five inches apart and squeeze through them. Like, five inches apart and squeeze through them. I, I have no idea how he did that, legitimately. That's nuts. <laughs> Was he a contortionist? Like <laughs> I have no clue. There are rumors that he had been attempting to reduce his body mass in the months leading up to the escape, but that has never been confirmed. I feel like he would have had to have been super skinny. And, like, double-jointed or something to be able to pull that off. Yeah, five That's the five only thing I can inches. think of. But also, like, reducing his body mass. Like, he was starving himself. So where would he have the energy to, like, open those bars? Like, pry them up? So many questions. I don't know. But he did it. <laughs> Koi got a hold of a riot club and waited for his accomplices to lure the guard out into the gallery. When the door opened, he clubbed the guard until he fell to the floor. Once the officer was down, he strangled him until he was unconscious. From there, Coy was able to hand firearms and clubs to his accomplices down on the main cell block floor. Their plan was to find the set of keys that led to the recreation yard and escape that way. The inmates captured nine guards and locked them in cells 403 and 404 while they searched for the keys. Unbeknownst to the prisoners, a guard by the name of Miller had hidden the keys to the recreation yard in the toilet of the cell he was being held hostage in. Gross. Yeah. But smart. Very smart. True. No one's going to stick your hand in someone else's toilet. Nope. Although they hadn't found the one key they needed to get out, the inmates did have the keys to many cells. They began releasing other prisoners out into the cell block by this time. Other officers had realized what was happening and sounded the alarm. From there, all hell broke loose. The Marine Corps and the Coast Guard were soon dispatched to control the situation at Alcatraz. Realizing that their escape plan could not work, a prisoner named Joseph Kretzer began firing his revolver into cell 403. In response to hearing gunfire from inside the cell block, the Marine Corps began bombing it. Of course, because why not? So, in the process, other inmates who were not a part of the riot were injured, and the pipes were damaged to the point that the cell block began flooding. It's reported that Birdman was actually the person who stopped the Marines from continuing the bombing, telling them that the person responsible had moved to another part of the cell block and they needed to stop before innocent people were killed. At the end of the battle, two correctional officers and three inmates were killed. Many others were severely wounded, not to mention the mental trauma that would come from witnessing an event like that. Among the dead were Officer Miller, who had hidden the key in the recreation yard, another officer named Harold Stitz, and inmates Joseph Kritz and Bernard Paul Coy. We're going to go over the various escape attempts here since we just covered one of them. So let's rewind a little bit to when Alcatraz was still being used as a minimum security military prison. Because it was minimum security, it was a lot easier to get out, turns out. As a military prison, documented are at least 80 men who had tried to escape in 29 separate attempts. Of those people, 62 were caught, one may have drowned, and 17 are unknown. The most successful known escape attempt during that time is when several inmates used a raft to escape from the island. They were later captured in Sutro Forest, which is in San Francisco, above where the University of California now sits. So, everyone saying no one could survive the cold waters of San Francisco Bay are obviously full of shit. 
One of the most common tales of Escape from Alcatraz is from June of 1962, when Clarence Angelin, his brother John, and Frank Morris disappeared. The trio had been pulling together an articulate plan that took months of planning. They made tools that allowed them to remove the air vents at the back of their cells. Behind the wall, there was an unguarded utility corridor. The prisoners figured out that they could climb up the pipes in the wall to the roof, which is about 30 feet above where their cells were. The inmates would take turns climbing up to construct a makeshift raft that they planned to use during their escape. They used over 50 raincoats for the raft, a musical instrument as an inflation device, and made wooden paddles. They even made fake heads to leave on the pillows in their beds so that when the guards did their rounds, it would look like they were just sleeping. What musical instrument did they use? I saw a picture of it, and it, it almost looked like like it was it was really long. I'm guessing like maybe, you know, flute or something. I don't know. Or, like, the slide from a trombone or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder where they got that. I mean, I guess they had things in their cells, but... Um, They did, and, I mean, they did go into the workshops, too, so, I mean, they could steal things from there. That's where a lot of it came from, I think. Okay, interesting. By the time the guards realized the inmates were missing, they were long gone. No one knows what happened to them, despite years of searching for clues. Many people think they may have drowned, although there were rumors that the trio went to South America... And one of the rumors is why it went to South America is because they were all studying Spanish in their cell. Mm-hmm. Yep. The following year, Alcatraz was permanently closed. They had run into the same issues the military had, and it became more and more expensive to operate the prison as the years went on. So, on March 21st, 1963, the final 27 inmates were transported off the island. The island was also occupied by Native Americans for about a year and a half in the late 1960s. A lot of the original buildings used by the civilians that lived on Alcatraz during this time as a prison were burned during that time, so that's why there's a lot of ruins on certain parts of the island. I just wanted to um, go back to the escape attempts, though. I mean, in my research, I found a lot of people who had tried to make the swim to kind of prove whether it could be done or not at various times of the year, too, not even in, in the summer when they tried to escape, and honestly, I think they could have made it easily, especially since there was a successful escape attempt when it was being used as a military prison. I don't think it's that far-fetched. And isn't there people that have made that swim, I mean, that weren't prisoners that have done the swim between Alcatraz and San Francisco Bay? Just to see if it could be done. And there was a girl in the 1930s that did it, too. They could do it. Why not a prisoner? And there's, there's this documentary on Disney+. Plus about Alcatraz and talking about all the currents and the bedrock, basically the geological side of it. But it's still super interesting if you guys want to watch it. But they also were talking about how the currents may have actually helped the prisoners escape too. If it pushed them just the right way, they could have gotten to land faster too. Because I think uh, one reason why they wonder if they drowned is because they found pieces of the raft later. But I'm like, that's not exactly an indication that they drowned. No, because they could have swam, and they only found pieces of it, so, I mean, they could have left the raft behind, too. It's not like they would have taken the time to pull the raft on shore, you know? They would have just gotten out. What are they going to do with it anyway? They didn't need it anymore. They got out, you know? So, I I don't think it's that far-fetched that they could have gotten away. Me either. Personally. All right, team, this is the part of the episode where we will transition into our personal paranormal experiences during our visit to Alcatraz. Um, So the number one thing that I noticed the entire time we were there, 
was this dark, shadowy figure in the cell block. Um, I mostly noticed it in cell block D, although I did see it at a couple other parts of the prison. Um, it almost looked like it was made of smoke. Um, and the first time that I noticed it, I put my fingers through the bars and I saw it like it wrapped its fingers around mine. And that was the one that we went back to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one I was just drawn to and I remember just staring inside of it. And then later when you're like, I need to go back to this cell, I was like, oh, I know which one. Because it just like, that was the one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And weirdly enough, the cell that I saw it in was never one of the cells that they usually talk about when they're talking about hauntings there. It was, I think, one of the cells sort of by the library. But I saw it at several different points. It seemed to move around a lot. Like it just moved around the prison. And I had... Um, there's, I don't know, sometimes, like, that's why I say it looked kind of like smoke. You know, it kept sh changing shape. I mean, it looked like the shape of a person, approximately, but it also had, like, these weird eyes sometimes, but then sometimes I couldn't see the eyes at all. But that was interesting to me. Um, I kind of tried to talk to this spirit or whatever it was a little bit, and I, you know, honestly, I don't think that it was anything that was ever human. And Naomi, you and I talked about this a little bit mm -hmm. when we were there. But um, I think that the Native Americans who originally said that the island was cursed, that's probably why they felt that way. I do think that there is something there. I don't think that it came from any one thing that happened at the prison. I don't think it came from a person. I think that it was already there when they built it. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I mean, that makes sense. That's... The Indians thought it was cursed there, and really nothing good has come of Alcatraz. Like, that's where even the Indians sent the people that were misbehaving or banned from their tribe. So did the military. So did the federal government. So it's not like they, this plot of land ever had any good purpose. Not really, no. And I mean, from an energy perspective, I think that after a while, that kind of just starts to build up, too, you know? So... Regardless of what was going on with it originally, I definitely think that that kind of just perpetuated it. I mean, it's definitely still there, for sure. Um, I did see a lot of energy in the solitary confinement cells. Um, everyone always says that 14D is the most haunted. Weirdly, I personally felt more activity in 12D. Um, when I, As soon as I walked in there, I felt nauseous almost instantly. Like, and I felt like my head was going to explode. So just pressure, um, nauseous. I, I felt really scared, like just tons of emotions coming over me. Like I did not want to be in there at all. Um, when I walked into 14D, like, um, it was a little chilly in there, but that also could just be because it was a huge metal box basically. So I'm not putting much stake in that. What did you feel from the solitary confinement cells? Well, being in the cell block in general, like in the different cell blocks, I always felt kind of dizzy to begin with. Um, around the solitary confinement cells, I met, I felt more nauseous um, and dizziness uh, and like didn't want to stay there very long. Yeah. That was kind of the vibe I was picking up. Okay. Okay. So about, about the same. Yeah, it... Um, 
you know, and I kind of kept waiting for something to happen in 14D because I knew that that was, like, everybody always says 14D is the worst one, but I... You just needed a coat? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, and... But that being said, I mean, I don't think that energy stays in one specific place, you know, and I... It's not like the energy itself goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need to be in 14D. Exactly. This is clearly 12D. I need to move over. Like, they're reading numbers on the outside. We got got more interesting questions. (laughs) Ghosts don't care about numbers, you guys. I did see the shadowy figure around the solitary confinement cells, too, which was interesting. Now, do you think it was the same shadowy figure? Or do you think there maybe might have been multiple shadowy figures? That's a good question. I didn't think about that, honestly. Um, There definitely could have been multiple. It wouldn't surprise me at all. That may be why I saw it all over the place and not just... Why sometimes you saw it differently? Yeah, that could be it, actually. That's a good point. Thank you. This is why we do it with two of us. (laughs) I hadn't even thought of that. Um, Moving on for a second. um, The shower area, you know, when you're lining up to go get your little audio tape thing for the tour... I felt energy in there, like, and I kind of saw a couple of little ripples, but I didn't see any full-blown apparitions or anything. Um, It didn't feel overly, like, sad or scary or any, you know, any big emotions the same way I did in the solitary confinement cells. So. So when I went to Alcatraz back when I was a child, like, um... I was in high school actually. We went to we went there because we were on our way to Disneyland. Yay! Yay! Um, I went into the shower area and I felt it felt um, just like heavy. Okay. And way different than when I went this time. But that could be because they were handing out like it was more touristy in the um, shower area because we were all like queuing up and getting our. Um, our headsets. Our headsets, whereas before, that wasn't there at the time. Okay. That, prob- that probably has a lot to do with it. Because it's hard to tell, really, or vibe on anything when there's just people everywhere, too. You know, because you don't know if you're picking up on something that somebody else is putting off or it's, if it's actually a paranormal experience. So, yeah, that's a good point. Any other thoughts on the shower area? No. It would have sucked to shower there. Yeah, like, there's no privacy at all. You and, what, like, 20, 30 of your best friends. Don't drop the soap. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I did also feel some activity near the warden's office. And I swear it's not because of the creepy mannequin that they keep in there. I swear that thing almost gave me a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Because they try to stage everything. It's really cool that they have it set up like that and they have a bunch of old furniture in there and stuff then they have this creepy ass mannequin and it's just not right (laughs) um near the warden's office I don't remember feeling anything completely overwhelming um I did see again some little ripples I felt like the ripples were more common than anything that um you know not a ton of apparitions just little energy ripples like something was there but not presenting itself or something like that um And then when we were walking past all of the old housing areas, I felt a ton coming from that, but you obviously can't go in there. 
Right. Yeah, it's not part of the tour, unfortunately. Didn't we go through, like, a library area? We did. Yeah. There was a lot in the library, too. There was. I remember that, like, making it... It never felt, like, dark or anything like that. It was more, like, calming and, like, energy there, but it was, it was definitely there. Yeah. And, I mean... That makes sense because, you know, the library, I'm sure, was a place of respite for a lot of the prisoners. You know, it's the one place they could go for a little bit when they did get some recreational time. Even if they had a limited amount of books they could read, at least they could go and pick out a book. Even if it's Jane Austen or whatever they kept in there. There might have been a book on Spanish. That's where those brothers were probably trying to learn how yeah, to speak probably, Spanish. Can you imagine the wardens like, God damn it, I gave them all they gave needed. Them that book. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, um, yeah, I got pretty good vibes from the from the library for the most part. That's where we took that picture. Do you remember that? Yep, I do. So we took this picture, and there was this weird light flare that happened. And we tried to recreate it on my phone, I think, and we couldn't do it. Like, we took it in the exact same spot and everything. So I don't know if there was something there um, or what happened, but it was... Interesting. We'll have to see if we can find that. Yeah, we maybe probably post it, it or camera. something. Um, and just a side note, everybody, I've had a couple of people ask if we're gonna do an Instagram or a Twitter for the podcast. Um, yes, but just hold your horses. I'm still getting everything organized, but um, we should have that up and running in the next couple of weeks, most likely. So maybe we can post your picture on our Instagram. Wouldn't that be nice? And everyone can see it. Yay. <laughs> Um, let's see what else. So, they did have their own morgue, but I didn't really feel much from there. We couldn't really go in there either. It was, the door was closed. There's this little window you could look through, but that was it. You couldn't. Yeah, you can't actually go in there and look around. I mean, it was a little creepy because it was kind of overgrown. There were, like, some vines on the walls and stuff, but, yeah, it didn't really feel much from the morgue. Um... Interestingly enough, I did not really feel much energy coming from the cells where the hostages were held and that I expected a lot to be there because mm. that's also where a couple of the guards died right. or were severely injured. I mean, you can still see um, marks on the floor from where everything hit. So, I mean, you would think that there would be a ton of energy in there, but I didn't really feel anything overwhelming. I don't know why that was. Did you feel anything from the, that area? No, not really. Again, though, um, that kind of goes back to it's a little hard to vibe on things like that when there's tons of people all around. You know, I think the areas that I noticed things were the areas where there weren't a ton of people because, you know, everybody's clamoring around the cells where the guards were killed because it's part of the audio tour. So <laughs> everybody's in the same part of the tour at the same time. So I think that could have had something to do with it as well. So here's what people have reported in the past. Most people say that the isolation cells are much colder than other parts of the prison. That's why you needed your coat. And that cells 12D and 14D are the most active. People have reported hearing unexplained voices and whispers, feeling an evil presence, and even seeing a dark shadowy figure with the glowing red eyes in the cells. My shadow friend. Do you think, did he feel evil to you? Yes and no. I mean, I think evil is a subjective term. Honestly, he, it, it didn't feel ever like he was going to harm me or anything like that, if that makes sense. Um, 
I mean, I was a little freaked out at first, but, you know, I think... Could he tell that you could see him? Not at first, but yeah, after a while he could. Interesting. So I was just staring straight at him, and he came up to me, and that's when he kind of brushed my fingers. So, I... I don't know. It um it felt a little misunderstood, but it almost felt like a power struggle or something like that. Maybe like there was something that like happened. A brooding there. teenager. A little bit, yeah. Hmm. I don't it's it's it was a weird, conflicted thing. I don't really know how to describe it. Okay. Okay. So tales have been told of an event in the nineteen forties when a prisoner locked in fourteen D screamed throughout the night that a creature with glowing eyes was killing him. The next day guards found the man strangled to death in the cell. No one ever claimed responsibility for the convict's death. However, the next day, when doing head counts, the guards counted one too many prisoners. Some of the guards claimed to see the dead convicted in line with the other inmates, but only for a second before he vanished. Spooky. Right? There have also been reports of banjo music coming from the shower room, which is where Al Capone used to practice. Visitors to cell blocks A and B claim they have heard crying and moaning. A visiting psychic wrote that while in block C, he encountered a disruptive spirit named Butcher. Prison records show that another inmate in block C murdered Abby Maldowitz, a mob hitman known as Butcher. Well, I never met the Butcher that I know of um but i guess it's possible maybe that's one of the ripples that i saw somewhere yeah that, maybe that is interesting though yeah alcatraz is just a really fascinating place on so many levels i think that there's so much to unpack and i just feel like we hit the tip of the iceberg with it honestly i mean the, i agree the, and it's so interesting the research for this episode was a bitch he means witch with, uh-huh. a, with a b uh-huh um, it was just, there There was so much to unpack with the whole thing. I mean, that's good. It means we have a really cool episode to give you guys and lots of cool facts, but there have just been so many different stages of Alcatraz as it stands today. And I, I truly think that there is something with the land and the area. You know, that whole area just really has a different vibe, even just the San Francisco Bay and not just Alcatraz by itself. I want to ask you, what did you think of the guy that they found strangled to death in his solitary confinement cell? I don't know. Um, I would be curious to find out if that's just folklore or if that is factually backed up. I mean, the thing that I saw, I would assume that that's what he said was killing him. I don't know. I... Do you think it could have also driven him crazy that he killed himself? It could have been. Could have been, yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe there's some other explanation. Because, I mean, it was it was pretty creepy looking. I would be pretty scared if I just randomly saw that. Especially when they were in... I mean, they would keep them in those solitary confinement cells for sometimes weeks at a time. And people have been known to go insane from being in solitary confinement for a long time. So if you were on the brink and then you saw that... Yeah. You would probably go a little cray-cray, push you over. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And, I mean, it was basically just a huge metal box that they were being held in. So, think about that, too. You're just in this metal box in the dark. Sounds terrible, really. Yeah. And, you know, people who are confined in the dark also have been known to hallucinate. I mean, that's been proven many, many times. So. So, do you think he might have hallucinated and to the point of maybe strangling himself? Or do you think he actually saw the black thing with the red eyes that you saw? I think it's possible 
that may, maybe he was hallucinating, but maybe he did actually see it and thought it was part of the hallucination. I don't know. Maybe, or maybe like he, a mixture. Maybe he hallucinated a little extra detail that it was trying to kill him or I don't know. Maybe, maybe this thing actually has the power to kill people. I have no idea. Um, that's something I still personally am a little torn he hallucinated on. Hallucinated a little too hard. A little too hard. <laughs> hey, he went a little too extra. Maybe got, got a little bad acid or something. I don't know. That is interesting, though. I I want to do a little more research on that and see if we can figure out whether that's something that really happened or not. Okay. Yeah. So stay tuned, guys. Maybe we'll do a little um, quick update in between episodes <laughs> if we find out if that's actually true. Well, you got anything else? Any other thoughts? All thought out. All thought out. We'll see you next time, guys. Um, send us all of your spooky stories. We're going to be dropping our first spooky sode. It's like a little tiny episode where we uh, read each other ghost stories that people send in. Uh, I'm excited. I am too. Uh, You can like our Facebook page, Paranormal History. You can also email us at paranormalhistoryinfo at gmail.com if you have any stories that you would like to share or if you have an episode location suggestion. We've gotten some good ones so far. All right. Bye, guys. See you next time. Bye.